is a Woodside Church podcast. Hello. Hello, hello. It's so nice to be... Wow, that's loud. It's so nice to be here. I've got loads of, loads of friends, people I haven't seen for a very long time. Some of my closest friends that I haven't seen for a very long time are here. Um, I wanted to do that course as well. Sooner I had to turn my phone on silent because I couldn't do it. Um, uh, today I'm going to be re- talking through a story in the Bible. It's a very famous story, and it's a story that makes all four, all four Gospels. If I was to ask you, if I was to say to you, and this is a weird thing to say, but if I was to say to you, the devil wanted you, the devil, there's that, to be honest, there's only one thing that's weirder than believing in God, and that's probably believing in the devil. But if I was to say to you, the devil wanted you, and he was going to go out, out of his way to get to you, what, what, what would be your response? How would you deal with that? In this story I'm going to read today, this is exactly, effectively, what Jesus says to Peter. There's four different accounts of where, Jesus, where Peter denies Jesus. Every single gospel has this story. There's not many stories that make all four. But this one makes all four, unfortunately for Peter, because it doesn't make him look great. But, but in this version, in this version, Jesus tells him what's really going on behind the curtains as such. It looked at, from Peter's point of view, it might have just looked like a normal, a normal situation going on, but the Bible suggests there's something going on behind the scenes that he didn't know about. So the Bible does talk about a spiritual realm. The first thing to say is the Bible speaks about a spiritual realm. It talks about that we live in a physical world, but there's also a spiritual world, and that there's a constant war going on. Constant war. The Bible says that Jesus has won the war for us. The battle's been won, it's happened, it's done, it's finished, but, there's, but the, the enemy, the devil, and, and, his, and his angels, known as demons, are trying to bring as many down with them as possible, even though it's ended. So, I'm going to read the story now. First thing, oh, before I read that, first thing to say is that I've often heard people say that the devil walks around like, uh, prowls like a roaring lion, but, but he doesn't bite. That's not, that's not what I read in the Bible. The Bible does suggest that, that Satan is powerful, more powerful than us, but nowhere near, not, not a touch on God. He's one of God's creations. If you read the book of Job, it's a book in the Bible where the devil does this trick. Well, he thinks it's a trick. He can't trick God. He says, to, he says to God, oh, Job doesn't really love you. Just strip a few things back. Take that away from him. Take that away from him. And then I'll show you what, what, what's really going on, what sort of guy he really is. And, and the famous story goes that God sort of, God allows him to do things, but restrain, restricts him to certain, certain things he's, he is and is not allowed to do. Here in this story, the same thing happens. The same, the same trick happens. Although, like I say, you can't trick God. Satan tries it again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this scripture, and you'll see what I mean by the trick he tries to pull. Okay, this is sorry, it's Luke 22, and I'm going to start at verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you even know me. Fast forward to verses 54. This then goes to the account of of Jesus um, uh, being taken by the priests. 
Then he seized him, and then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed at a distance. And when they kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him, said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them. Peter said, Man, I'm not. And after the interval of about about an hour, still another insisted, Certainly this man was also with him, for he's a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately... While he was still speaking, the cock crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So the devil tries this trick on, trick on God. He's, he's foolish enough to think he can trick God. And he says, oh, what, what I'm going to do with Peter is I want to sift him like wheat. What he means is he's going to... They, had, in the, they would have corn, they would have wheat, and they would, they would shake it, and the chaff would fall out the bottom, leaving only the wheat. Effectively, they were saying, let's see what he's... Re- what, what, I'll leave the good for you. Let me, let me strip him back, and I'll leave the good for you. Same trick he did with Job. The interesting thing is the way, the way God prays, the way Jesus prays for Peter, he doesn't pray that the devil won't be able to get close to him. He says, that, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. So he protected him to the, in the most important way to keep his faith. And before I start this, it's important to know that as a Christian, God will keeps our faith. He keeps our faith. The Bible says we're saved by grace, not by works, so that none of us can boast. But there are, there are attacks of the devil, but he, your faith will be kept. And Peter, in my, when I read, in my reading of this, there are three vulnerabilities that Peter had. Because people often say, oh, he shouldn't have denied Jesus. Yeah, but, but it's, why? Why did he deny Jesus? And in this, in this story, we, we, denying Jesus is a problem, but there was a deeper problems that caused him to deny Jesus in the first place. The first one, in my opinion, is self-reliance. Just before this account, there's a story where the disciples are arguing amongst each other about who the greatest is. Peter thought he was pretty, pretty special, in fact, in this, ver- in this version, as we say, he says, oh, I'm ready to go with you to prison or to death. I- I'm all right. I'm all right. In fact, Matthew's account says, even if they all fail you, the other 11, even if they all fail, I won't. I won't. Peter believed he was something special, to be honest. And now I know you've, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting this out because I think Enton's probably thinks I've put weight on. Um, <laughs> Enton once said to me, Luke, you've got a belly now. So I'm glad I got this out. This is my little hand. This is not important, but this is, this is so you know, I don't want to mix up God and the devil. So this is, when I put this on, I'm speaking as though I'm the devil, please. That's what that's about. Peter does, the devil does these things with Peter. He says, see, self, what self-reliance does is it strips the hand of faith from God, off of God. And the Bible calls us to hold on to God in everything. So the devil will go, in this, with self-reliance, he'll go, no, 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 it's, it's fine. In fact, right before I said this, Rachel told me to speak. I said, what voice should I do for the devil? And she said, strong, strong Glaswegian. <laughs> the gorilla, see? Um, right, okay, so 
He said, did God really say? And he said, no, no, don't worry, Peter. You got it. You're strong. You're the one. Jesus said you're going to be the rock on which I build my church. Don't worry about him. You've got it. You've got this one. You've got this one. That's what he does. He makes Peter rely on himself. He says, I'm the rock. I'm, the, I'm that guy. I can do it. I don't need, even if the other 11 fail, I'm, I'm good. He does the same to us, very subtly, very differently sometimes, but it might be a case of, he might, he might say, and this is how you know yourself reliant. There's two areas I think you can know yourself reliant. One is your prayer life. I don't say this is a judgy comment. I don't say you need to pray. I'm saying you'll know you're, you're reliant on God, and that will be your prayer life. And we know in the story, this story, just before this, Jesus tells Pete to pray, and he falls asleep twice. Your prayer life will show if you're reliant on God or not. The other way that you'll know if you're reliant on God or not, or reliant on others, self-reliance, is, oh, we'll just fix it. You've got issues with your marriage. It's all right. We don't need to keep it, keep it here. We'll, we'll sort it out. We'll be fine. We don't need any help. We can do it. Self-reliance is, is a big enemy. It's a big enemy. And it's what, the one that the devil uses on Peter here. See, the Bible is full of stories the whole Bible is full of stories of God using weak people. And yet we think we've got to be strong to be used by God. But it's not the Bible. Every, all the major people who read in the Bible were weak in some way, shape or form. And the reason God uses weak people is because he gets the glory with weak people. When, you, when you're strong, it's easy to accredit the glory to you. So Jesus uses weak people. In fact, there's a story where Paul says, oh God, please take this cup from me and this burden off of me. And Jesus says, my power is made perfect in weakness. There's something about God using weak people. When I was younger, in the area I grew up with, there was was this, this gang that did a certain thing at the end of my street. The gang would send their little brothers so you would go to the shop and a gang and these six-year-olds, genuinely six-year-olds, would come up to you and say, give me your phone, give me money. You know, six-year-old. And clearly, I'm not intimidated by a six-year-old. But I was intimidated by the big brothers who were waiting for me to say no. They would stand there and they would, they would hide around the corner. They would watch. And the moment you said no, the moment the, the big boys came and you are in trouble. That's not a million miles away from the Christian experience. We, think, we often think we're strong. The devil ain't intimidated by us. He's not intimidated by us. He's intimidated by the one, you hold, the one you're holding hand with. He's intimidated by God. He's terrified by God, but you nothing. Jesus I know. Paul I've heard of. But who are you? Who are you? There's a man, there was a man who lived uh, quite a few years back, quite a few years back, 1700s, quite, quite a few years back. Um, his name was William Carey. And the Bible, uh, the Bible his, he was known as, as the father of missions. His, his history is ridiculous. It's incredible. He helped start 26 churches, 126 schools. He had one heck of a CV. This guy was amazing. My mouth is so dry. Um, this, this man was amazing. And on his, on his um, gravestone, what would you put on, it, on your gravestone if you're someone like that? 26 churches, 126 schools. He, le- he apparently led 700 people to Christ. On his gravestone, it says, A wretched, poor, helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. That's not saying anything about his identity. 
that's a realization that every achievement he had ever made wasn't him. Everything wasn't him. I want to be like that. I, I love that gravestone. I hope I would love something like that on my gravestone. I think it's incredible. But on his deathbed, he was talking to one of his friends called Mr. Duff, and he said, Mr. Duff, stop talking about Dr. Carey. When I'm gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak only about Dr. Carey's saviour. Oh, thanks, mate. Thank you so much. You look very young without a beard. <laughs> okay. Hold Jesus' hand. Your power comes from holding his hand. It doesn't come from you. It didn't come from Peter. It came from Jesus. That's his first vulnerability. His second vulnerability, I think, was fear. Peter was following at a distance, and when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together with Peter, sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, looked at him closely, said, this man was with him. The devil says to Peter, whispers in his ear, like he does, look what's happened to Jesus. Look what's happening to him. You don't want that for you. Hide, hide, step back. Don't, don't talk about him. Don't mention him. Stay away. Hide. You'll be safer. Life's better that way. Life will be more joyful that way. Keep your faith quiet. Say nothing. Does the same to us at work, in our lives. Just don't say anything. Keep it quiet. Life's easier that way. <clears throat> the thing is, there's a... <clears throat> the way to eliminate fear isn't to take the danger away. We often think, this, let's play it safe, let's get out of the dangerous situation and we'll be okay. But that's not really the best way as a Christian to deal with fear. A couple of weeks ago, literally two weeks ago, my son, Rachel had gone out for the night, my wife. She'd gone out for the night and my son, who never, who never comes down after bedtime, he's, he's really good at bedtime, not so much the girls, but he's really good. I could hear rustling upstairs, and he came down the stairs, and I said, you all right, mate? What's, that, what's going on? And he said, oh, I think I've got a temperature. I'm really hot. And I felt him. He's absolutely fine. <clears throat> Head was fine. Literally fell over the back of his neck. Oh, you're right. You're fine. Let's go back. to took him back up to his room. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, took him back to his room. A few minutes later, I, he, I said, I'll lay you on the other side of the bed. Let's put you this way around. I'll open the window, open the curtains, and get some air in here. Put him back to bed. Went downstairs. Thought nothing of it. Ten minutes later, I heard some more rustling. He's still up. So as I started walking up the stairs, he was sitting on the top stair. And I was like, are you okay? And he said, oh, I've got a temperature. So I said to him, this is not normal for this boy. So I said to him, what are you worried about, Harvey? His name Harvey. What are you worried about, Harvey? And he said, I don't want to fit. This This son has seizures. This This son... they're currently testing for epilepsy. He has, he has seizures, and often it's as a result of a temperature, but he's too old now to be getting febrile convulsions. But he was scared. He was scared, and what was going on wasn't he had a temperature. He was worried that he was going to get a seizure. What, what devastates me about this story, and I did, actually cry, I did actually cry that night, what devastates me is there was a 10-minute window when he was, well, longer than 10 minutes, really, but there's 10-minute windows for certain when he was terrified and he didn't tell me. He didn't tell me. And that, that, that devastated me. But we do that with God all the time. 
longer than 10 minutes, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. We keep it to ourselves. We just try and get through things. If that story with my boy, Harvey, devastates me, I'm telling you, it devastates God when we keep our fears from him, when we keep our worries from him. Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. After, I'd, after this situation, so I, put, I, put, I laid Harvey on the sofa that night and I put him on, his head on my lap and I watched him telly and I stroked his hair and he fell asleep really quickly. That's, in that, with that story, the situation hadn't changed at all. He could have had a seizure. He's had seizures before. There's no reason why that couldn't have happened. The situation was exactly the same and yet he was completely peaceful. Fell asleep within five minutes. And the Bible talks about giving us a peace that transcends understanding, that defies logic. The situation is bleak, the situation is scary, but Jesus can give you a peace that completely calms, calms your fears, in, in, even if it's an awful fear and the, and the risk is genuine. He can, he can calm those fears. <clears throat> the other thing about this story is that Peter stayed, it says Peter stayed at a distance. I find that fascinating because the other... Definitely one other was still there, but around nine of them had scarpered. But he, st- he really wanted to keep following Jesus, but he just didn't want to get close enough to be noticed. I think we do that. I do that sometimes at work. We, we're happy to be Christians at a distance. We're happy to have our faith as a thing in, inside, but we try and often try and do it at a distance. The thing about being a Christian is unless... Unless you completely decide to isolate yourself, completely say, I'm never going to speak about God, I'm not going to do anything to show that I'm anything else other than anyone else. If you're going to, unless you're going to do that, just like Peter sat in the middle of that fire and it was flickering on his face, and they, they look, because there's something different about that guy. He's not spoken yet, but there's definitely something different about him. That will happen to all of us. Unless you completely say, no chance, not happening. There will be things that, will got, that, that people will see about you, see something in you, even if it's a flickering, even if it's a dark little light on the face. There's something different. And as Christians, we're to be people who can, who can get, off, get our reliance on Jesus, rest our head on his lap, and take away that fear, because we will stand out. The Bible, history um, is a, Christians have consistently been seen as weird. Consistently. Throughout history, we are weird. And I've heard people say, no, I, just want, I want to show people that Christians could be normal. It's not really what happens. Christians are weird. They are. They're odd. And, and it's being the place where you're okay to be a bit weird. I'm not saying being crazy, but being accepting. I am, I, I am different to, the, to everyone else here, and that's all right. That's all right. A guy called David E. Garland said like this, the reality is that Christians can never blend in completely. And always have the invite, invite, always invite the harsh judgment of outsiders unless they choose to be utterly silent. Shame. Shame is the third vulnerability that Peter had. I'm going to read a quote by a, a guy's surname I cannot say. His first name's Tabati. Cannot say his surname, so I'm going to give it a go. But I'm going to read this quote word for word because it's better than I could ever have said it. He starts off by talking about that look when Jesus, it says, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Jesus just turns and looks at him. This guy says, 
That look must have killed Peter a thousand ways. When the Lord looks at us in our sin and rejection, we can't help but be stricken by grief. And the truth is, the Lord sees us all the time in our various faults, sins, denials, and rejections. But what was this look? What did Peter see in Jesus' eyes? Did the look say, I told you so? I don't think Jesus was gloating over Peter's failure. Did Jesus look at Peter with eyes of fire, angry? I don't think so. Jesus will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering candle. Did the look say, how could you? I don't think that look communicated personal hurt. Jesus did not come to burden us with guilt, but take it away. I think the look was pure and holy love, which we cannot bear to see in our sin. In our self-righteousness, we could understand, even want, anger or disappointment, or hurt, or even I told you so. But when the Lord continues to look at us with unfeigned and unblemished love, it robs us of all self-righteousness and makes us see what a holy love we've rejected and what, what wretched messes we are. We can't bear to see him look at us with such pure and holy love when we failed so miserably. So like Peter, we turn our faces away and weep bitterly when we fail our Lord. And that's a terrible mistake. If when we sin against the Lord, we could continue to look at his face, we would eventually see that this holy love accepts us. It pardons. It cleanses. It relieves guilt and removes shame. It heals the broken and lifts the worthless. If we could but look in his face, we'd see a loving look that says, Come unto me. <clears throat> Devil does the same thing in this situation. When you let the God down, you'll get that little voice that will say, Run, go, tell no one, separate yourselves, keep quiet. What you've done is bad. What you've done is really, really bad. He's not, he can't accept you. He didn't know this was going to happen. When you became a Christian, he didn't think about this one. This is bad. Jesus knows all our failures. He knows all your failures, all my failures that I'll commit when I'm 80. God willing, I get to 80. He knows, he, when he accepted me, he accepted me for the sins that I had done, I was doing, and all the sins I would ever commit. He knew them. Just like he said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. I know, I know what you're going to do, and, but, and I accept you. That's the same for us. That's the gracious God we have. I'm not going to read this part of the story, but later on, the most, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen of Jesus in the Bible happens, and it's with Peter. There's, it's, up there, it's up there with some of the most, mo- most moving moments in the whole Bible, and it's the moment where Jesus is on a beach, and Peter's, Peter's doing it back to his fishing job again. Jesus, Jesus had died by this point. He'd, he'd come back on one occasion, so Peter had seen him before this on one, one occasion, but he, they see a guy cooking on the beach, and, they, and then they realise it's Jesus. And he goes back onto the beach. And in, again, in front of a fire, just like Peter denied Jesus in front of a fire, in front of a fire, Jesus gives him breakfast. Gives him and the other disciples breakfast, which is really important. That's not just he gives them breakfast. In the Bible, when you eat together, you are friends. Really important. Right from the offset, Jesus says, you're my friend, before anything else. 
you're my friend. But he does this thing where he asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? He's not asking because he didn't know. He's not asking. Like he's, he's doing what God does in the Bible. When God often asks questions, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he's doing something for them. So Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you. You know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Of course, you know I love you. I, 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 I love you. Look after my lambs. Does it a third time. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, God, Jesus is doing something in this story that is incredibly healing. He doesn't need to do this. He's already accepted him. He's already given him breakfast. He's already made the point that you're my friend. But he goes back to the thing that Peter was most ashamed about. And head on, head on, he heals him. Three denials, three restoring, I do love you. Three times. He does that to us. The Bible says the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy. But Jesus comes to give, bring life and repair. He comes to repair our mess, our mess that we've committed before we believed, the mess we're going to commit, and gently, lovingly repairs us. And when you hear those lies that say, oh, life's easier, life's easier when you don't live that way, the Bible says Jesus brings fullness of joy, that true life is found in him. It's actually a lie. It might seem like it's easier, but the truth is you will get more joy and more more peace by being close to Jesus, not, not far from him. Let Jesus hold your hand. Hold Jesus' hand. Hold it tight. Because we are in a war, and he, but he is, a vic, he is the victor. He is where our help, our strength comes from. Rest your head on his lap. Go to him with your fears and your worries. Give them to him. Give him your vulnerabilities. Talk to him. Let him help you up when, you've, when you're wrapped with shame for things you've done. Confess your sins. The Bible says confess your sins. Talk to somebody, somebody you trust. Talk to them. Lay it on the table. Jesus has forgiven you, but he might want to repair you. He might want to look at that specific thing and say, okay, let's, let's patch this one up. Let him help you up. Jesus, thank you that you give. Thank you that you bring life. And thank you that you repair. Jesus, you're our strength. You're our help. You're our best friend. You're our God. You're our our joy. Jesus, would you help us? Help me. Help us in this room to be people who who are proud of you and not ashamed of you. Help us to people that rely on you, not rely on ourselves. Help us to be people that can move on from our shame because you've moved on from those moments and you've forgiven us. Help us to forgive ourselves when we can't do that, Lord Jesus. Like Peter couldn't, couldn't get over it. Help us, Lord Jesus, to leave our mistakes at the cross of Christ. As we outstretch our hands to you to hold your hand, Lord Jesus, you've already outstretched your hand for us on the cross. You've already stretched it and you give us your, your scarred hands and you say, I'm here. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Work in our hearts. Help us to be a people that truly know you. Don't just sing songs we know you, but truly walk with you.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.